Good morning. And as we begin this morning, let me just greet fathers. Happy Father's Day. Let me send a special greeting to those who may be grieving the loss of a father uh, in the not so recent past. I can think of no greater way to both honor fathers or to encourage those who are grieving fathers that they have loved than by pointing all of us together to our Heavenly Father. And as we see this morning, we will see something of the love of our Heavenly Father as he has sent Christ to bring the peace of heaven to earth. As we begin, when you live overseas, you become familiar with the diplomatic service. Uh, the State Department is the arm, the branch of the federal government that is responsible for our international relations. That begins when you go overseas by applying for a passport to the State Department. And then when you live overseas, your embassy or consulate becomes your representative of your home country, wherever it is that you are visiting or residing. In Dubai, we had members of our church working for the State Department uh, in our local U.S. consulate. And they did everything from uh, ordinary tasks for citizens, like passport services, all the way up to serving as diplomats or ambassadors. Now, diplomats or ambassadors do the work of representing one nation to another uh, nation or to the leaders of another nation. The ambassador represents the leader to the nation they are sent to. Now, the work of an ambassador is clear. There is no ability for the ambassador to adjust or change the message of the leader that sends him or her. And the full weight of the king and of the nation are behind that ambassador. The ambassador is not alone. He or she is merely a messenger, a representative come with a message from another. In our passage this morning, King Jesus sends a commission of diplomats, of ambassadors, to represent him and to proclaim the message of his kingdom to men. The king of heaven has come to earth. And incredibly, he's come to earth with a message of peace. And he commissions his followers to represent him, to represent heaven to the world, a world in great need. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We have been studying Luke over the last several months, and the last couple of sermons in Luke have brought us to the center of this gospel. Luke has made it abundantly clear in the first half of the book who Jesus is, who it is that Jesus is. Through his teaching and through his miracles, Jesus has proven beyond a doubt to his own disciples that he is indeed God's Messiah. And having done this, Jesus now sets his face to go to Jerusalem, Luke 9, 51. The rest of Luke records Jesus' journey to Jerusalem where he would die. The cross is Jesus' purpose. And the cross colors all that he would say and do from here on out. In the last sermon, Jesus had conversations with three would-be disciples. And with each, he challenges them to count the cost before following him. Nothing can stand in the way of a wholehearted commitment to Christ. Nothing can stand in competition with Christ when it comes to his call to follow him. And this morning, 
we'll be looking at the next section beginning in Luke 10 and verse 1. We'll be looking at Luke 10, 1 to 16. And in our passage, Jesus commissions more disciples, 72 more, and he sends them ahead of him to prepare his way. So this morning, our overarching theme, we will see Christ, the eternal king, sending ambassadors to proclaim the message of his kingdom. We see Christ, the eternal king, sending ambassadors to proclaim the message of his kingdom. And our main point this morning is this, if you're taking notes, Jesus' kingdom brings peace and judgment. Jesus' kingdom brings peace and judgment. And we'll have two points this morning. Verses 1 to 9 of Luke 10, Jesus' kingdom brings peace. And verses 10 to 16 of chapter 10, Jesus' kingdom brings judgment. I pray this morning that we would, first of all, know the peace that comes only through Christ. And second of all, that we would embrace our great commission to be Christ's ambassadors, ambassadors of heaven to a world in need. Let's begin by reading the first part of our passage. Follow along with me as I read Luke 10. Verses 1 to 9. Luke 10, verses 1 to 9. This is God's word. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So let's look first at point number one. Point number one, Jesus' kingdom brings peace. Jesus' kingdom brings peace. So to set the context, as we saw in Luke chapter 9, Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem. And on this long journey from up in Galilee to Jerusalem, Jesus plans to visit towns and villages along the way. To prepare the way for this visitation, Jesus commissions on a place that he was about to go, it says. The word here for sent in verse 1, and then later on, both words here for sent is the same word in Greek, apostello, the verbal form of the noun for the word apostle. It means not merely to send, but to authorize a messenger, to commission a representative. And that is what Jesus is doing here. He appoints these 72 and then he sends them on a commission. They're authorized ambassadors of Christ, like the 12 apostles. And they are commissioned and sent ahead of Christ to declare the message of his kingdom. Now, this had already happened back in chapter 9, verses 1 and following, where he commissioned the 12 and sent them out on a missionary journey. Here, he commissioned 72 more. Now, do you realize what's happening here, as we talked about in our intro? These people that Christ commissions 
are ambassadors of Christ and of his kingdom, ambassadors of heaven, the nation of heaven. And their work here is a representative ministry. The uh, African-American pastor, Lemuel Haynes, was a free African-American pastor of the late 1700s and early 1800s in Vermont. And in his farewell sermon to his congregation in 1820, he referenced this passage, and he said this about the work of us as ministers and as ambassadors. He says this, It was through the instrumentality of gospel ministers that the kingdom of the Redeemer was promulgated in the days of the Messiah. He gave them their commission and sent them forth upon the important embassy. Although many of the early apostles were called in a miraculous and extraordinary manner, this by no means suggests the idea that ordinary ministers do not receive their commission from God and are not equally sent by him. And then he says this, the faithful ministers of Christ are engaged in the cause of God, and it seems suitable that he should appoint them. They are messengers sent on the king's errand to transact business for him and receive their commission, that is their reward, from above. Let's look first at the message that Jesus sends these ambassadors with. Do you notice first that it is a kingdom message? In verse 1, it's the king, Jesus, who commissions and sends these ambassadors. And then in verse 9, do you see what it is that they declare? The kingdom of God has come near. It's a message of Christ's kingdom. You see, the king of heaven has come, and he's come from heaven as our creator God and as the incarnate one, God become man, who has come to reign and to rule over his people. And it is his kingdom that is coming to earth. And as the king, he is declaring his rule and his right to rule over all humanity. Now that the king has come and the kingdom of God is near, these sinful human beings have a responsibility to respond properly to their true and eternal king. But do you notice, not only is it a kingdom message, it is a message of peace. Look at verse 5. When these ambassadors enter into a home, they are to declare, peace be to this house. Peace be to this house. The message of the kingdom of Christ, the gospel message, is a message of peace. Peace from God and peace with God. We are naturally, all of us as human beings, at enmity with God, at war with him. We have all of us declared our war upon God by rebelling against him, his good and right rule against us. This happened with our first father and mother, Adam and Eve in the garden, when we rejected God's good and loving rule over us and decided that we would rather, all of us decided we would rather live our lives on our own and be our own kings and queens rather than to submit ourselves to our true and rightful king, our creator God. And what the Bible tells us is that God, because he is good and because he is just and righteous, has cast us, humanity, out of his presence, that he has uh, punished us by removing the relationship of love that we had with him and exiling us from his presence. 
we have separated ourselves from God and God has separated himself from us. But the remarkable thing is that, that God has not ended the story there, but has continued to pursue sinful humanity in love. And he has sent his own son. The father has sent the son, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to come with an envoy from heaven of peace. This is the gospel message. While we deserve God's just and right judgment, yet God in patience and kindness extends an olive branch to sinful humanity. And the message of the gospel is this, Christ, God become man, has come to earth and lived the perfect life that we did not live and is the perfect representative to represent heaven to men. And he has both lived the perfect life we couldn't live and died a sacrificial death on the cross so that we could, through Christ, through his death and his resurrection, receive his perfect righteousness in our place. And he would take upon himself our sin in his death and resurrection. And we can now have, remarkably, peace with God. This enmity that separates us from God is taken away through the cross and peace, absolute peace, a reconciled relationship with God is what Christ offers to men. If we would respond rightly to this message, repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ, to confess that he is God's king, that he is heaven's king, that he is both God and man, Jesus, the son of God, and that he has died on the cross in the place of sinners. And we trust in what he has done in his life and death to take the place of what we have done in our sin and rebellion. And the Bible tells us that God will justify us. This war and enmity will be taken away and we will now be united with God and able to be a part of his family forever. God, the father being our father, Christ remarkably being our brother and all of us being a part of God's family forever. You see, when Christ returns, he will declare either that he is at peace with you or he will declare war upon you. And there is no middle ground. But those of us who have come to know Christ, who have received this peace with God and have entered into Christ's kingdom and experienced this peace now and will experience it for eternity, we are now called to be a part of Christ's peacemaking mission. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And we are now that, God's representatives to fallen humanity. And let's look at this commission, the unique commission of these 72 others. Now, there are uh, 72, it says, that Jesus calls 72 others. Commentators have tried to figure out why 72. Is that number significant? Well, perhaps it is. We read in Genesis chapter 10 that there is a table of nations there in Genesis 10. And some have thought maybe Jesus is picking exactly 72 to have one representative for each nation. Whether that is the case or not, we can see that he's sending out not just the 12, but now 72 more ordinary followers, not just the elite, but ordinary followers. You see also that he sends them two by two. It appears that uh, this is always his 
um, plan to send them not alone, but two by two, perhaps for the mutual encouragement and, and support that a team of two would give, uh, but also it seems for witness corroboration. It was by the uh, witness of two or three voices that the truth would be established. And these witnesses who are witnessing about Christ can both witness the truth to these people that they're going to, but they can also be witnesses against them if they reject the message. Let's look at some aspects of this unique ministry. And while this ministry of these 72 is unique in some ways, at heart, remember with me that this is Christian ministry. At heart, this is Christian ministry. First of all, we see that it's a dependent ministry. It's a dependent ministry because it's a divine ministry. These people aren't being sent on their own jobs or to do their own work, but to do God's work. And God's work requires God's provision. And so the ministry that they are being sent on is a dependent one, a ministry in which they depend upon God. We see that, first of all, in the harvest in verse 2. It's God's salvation. It's God's field. It's God's harvest. And it's God's work. Jesus uses a farming illustration in verse 2 to say that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a, a great harvest ready in the field. The problem isn't with the harvest, but that there aren't enough laborers to bring in the harvest. It isn't that there's not enough work to do. It's that there aren't enough workers to do the work. We see also that it's a dependent ministry because then he tells them to pray. Verse 2, he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God is the one who will provide the laborers for his harvest. Not only is there work to do in terms of preaching the gospel and winning souls and discipling them, but part of the vital work of the ministry is prayer itself. Prayer is part of our commission, and it's through prayer that we show our dependence upon God and through prayer that God, God's work moves and thrives. And so these 72 were to be not only faithful workers, but faithful prayers as well. Notice also this dependent ministry is shown through God's provision. In verse 4 and in verse 7 and 8, Jesus makes it clear that God would be the one to provide for the needs of his laborers. He tells them not to carry extra clothing, extra sandals, even a money bag. Don't even take money with you. And he tells them that God is going to provide for them through the hospitality of the people that receive the message. The laborers are also to be content with God's provision and not skipping from one house to perhaps a better one or a house with better food, but be content with God's provision. This passage where it says that the laborer deserves his wages is quoted later by the Apostle Paul as scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And he quotes it as a passage that teaches about Christian ministers, that Christian ministers are to be provided for. The minister who is faithful in preaching the gospel is to be provided for out of that gospel ministry. Notice also that this is a dependent ministry in that the authority to do it comes from Christ. Look at verse 9. These 72 are given authority to heal and to cast out demons. 
They're able to demonstrate miraculous blessings, the blessings of Christ's kingdom on those that receive this message. And then in verse 19 later, he says that they've been given great authority even to cast out demons in his name. But this is all part of the dependent ministry of this divine ministry in which God provides for his workers. Notice also, verse 3, that it's a dangerous ministry. It's a dangerous ministry. He says, verse 3, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. But Jesus prepares his followers here for rejection. Lambs among wolves, not sheep, lambs, defenseless against a world that is antagonistic towards God and towards Christ. And because of that, antagonistic towards Christ's ambassadors. You see, thirdly, that it's also an urgent ministry. It's an urgent ministry. Verse 2, it's urgent because of the plentiful harvest. But verse 4, it's so urgent that Jesus says they should go directly to the towns that they are sent to and to greet no one on the way. This work is urgent. This work is important. The need is great. And so they are to act with urgency. Now, these are some of the, the things that we see in this passage. And while there are some things here that are unique in terms of the power that they have and the authority that they wield, but all of us, according to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, have been, as Jesus' disciples, commissioned by him. The Great Commission means that every Christian has been commissioned by Christ to be his ambassadors in this world. The church is to be an embassy of heaven, representing heaven's interests in the foreign country of this fallen world. And so all of us get to take part in Christ's great commission work. And this means that these aspects of the ministry have application for us today. We too, in the ministry that we have as ambassadors, are to realize our dependency on God. And to lean into that, knowing that the work is God's and not ours. As we think about the harvest and the harvesters, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to see the world not only as a dangerous place and a harsh place, which it is, but as a, a harvest field with many, many that have been chosen by God and who need to hear the gospel and need to be brought into Christ's kingdom through such proclamation. Let me encourage you to see the world as a harvest field and to get to work. Let me encourage you as well to not only be those that work, but be those that pray, realizing our dependence on God, praying that God would be raising up laborers that can be sent out into the harvest field of the world. And not only being willing to work and being willing to pray, but being willing to be the answer to the prayers, not only in local evangelism, but perhaps being willing to ask the question, Lord, would you send me? And to answer, if he says, yes, here am I, send me. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to consider being the answer to that prayer. Not only that, we should be reminded of God's provision that God provides for this work. He provides because it is his mission that they are on. I, I wonder, as you look at the things that God has provided for you, do you tend to primarily think about the things that he's given to you as your own? Or do you see them as something that's been entrusted to you and 
can be leveraged and used for gospel ministry. We should be seeing our material wealth and possessions, not simply as our own, but all of it as God's, because all of it came from God and has been provided to us by God. And we should see these things as, as opportunities to be leveraged for gospel ministry. In talking to his followers about their mission, we also want to be considering the fact that we can be training up within our own church such ambassadors. I'm, I'm encouraged with the internship that we've set money aside for in our budget this year to be training up and recruiting uh, other gospel ministers who can be faithful pastors and perhaps in the days ahead, faithful missionaries. Let me encourage us to be delight, to be delighted in being able to raise up and take part in sending out laborers into this harvest. But not only is it to be a dependent ministry, we are to remember that it is a dangerous ministry. It's a dangerous ministry as well. Last night I went to Ralph's to refill our filtered water bottles. And there was an older woman sitting on the bench next to the water machine. I'd been studying this passage all week. And as I went to the machine, I was sensing a conviction to be aware of the people that God places in my path and to seek to be a representative of Christ. So I was excited. As I started filling up my bottle, I greeted her with a hello and a smile, looking for an opportunity to start a gospel conversation. And the woman was not impressed. And in fact, she began to stare at me, a, a mean stare. And then I think she began to swear at me in another language. That's not enjoyable. But do you see, Jesus prepared me for this. God prepares all of us for opportunities to preach the gospel. And he even prepares us to face rejection. Now, the rejection last night is small in comparison with the rejection that some Christians face. Or their family members rejecting them, or even government officials arresting faithful Christians. But all of us should be prepared for our ministry to be a dangerous one. And then lastly, there's application for us in the urgency of this ministry. Whether it's in our personal evangelism, or contributing to ministry financially, or in prayer, all of us should sense the urgency of our gospel ministry. There may be not much that you can do in this season or in this time, but we can always pray and we can always give and we can always trust our Heavenly Father to use us in small ways or big for the sake of bringing this message of Christ's peace to the world. Well, Christ's kingdom brings a message of peace, but it also brings a message of judgment, a message of judgment, verses 12 to 16. Let's read the second part of our passage. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in time, Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you 
hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. You notice in our passage that to those that receive Christ and Christ's messengers, those that receive the gospel, it is a message of peace. But to those that reject it, it is a message of judgment. Jesus' kingdom brings judgment. The kingdom of God is repeated there, has come near in verse 11. But instead of peace, the kingdom of God has come near with judgment. Jesus then pronounces woes for the cities, for the people that are being visited with the message of Christ's kingdom and reject it. What is a woe? A woe is something of an of an older English word. It's a pronouncement of judgment or condemnation. Woe or judgment be upon these people. Now, do you see what Jesus is saying in this passage? It may seem a little confusing at first. Jesus is making comparisons and contrasts, and he's making it clear that those that reject God will be judged. Those that reject Truth will be judged, but those that reject greater revelation are subject to a greater judgment and condemnation than those that rejected lesser revelation. Now, God's judgment will be upon all sinners, and all of us that have sinned against God, even one sin, are deserving of his just wrath against sinners. And God's judgment against sin and sinners will culminate in eternal, conscious torment in hell. This is not annihilation. If you are those that have disobeyed Christ and rejected God, he doesn't put you out of existence. No, you will be facing his wrath in a conscious torment forever. The Bible is clear on this. What Jesus is threatening is eternal conscious punishment for those that reject God. But what Jesus is threatening is a worse judgment for those that reject more revelation. The more of the truth that you know about God and from God that you reject the more culpable and responsible you will be on the judgment day, and the worse judgment day will be for you. Think of Judas, one who walked with Christ for three years, who saw him, who knew him, who even was commissioned and did miracles in Christ's name, who then turned and rejected Christ and betrayed him for money. And look at what Jesus says about him in Matthew 26, 24. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? This is no laughing matter. This is not two options, one a little better and one a little worse. No, when it comes to Christ and what we do with him, it is either life or death, eternal joy and bliss and peace with God, or rejection by God and eternal punishment forever. 
Jesus is saying that these people who see Christ are receiving a much greater revelation than those that sinned without receiving such revelation from God. God himself in human flesh, preaching the gospel, doing miracles. And just as there are rewards in heaven for God's people and categories of rewards, there are as well categories of judgment. Let me encourage you and make a point here. If you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, hearing the gospel this morning means that you have upon you a special responsibility to respond to this truth because you are receiving a greater revelation from God in this gospel message from this text this morning than many people who will also be judged for their sin. Let me encourage you to turn from your sins and to trust in Christ and cast yourself on Christ. He will be to you the Prince of Peace. He will bring you and usher you into God's loving kingdom forever. And let me make a special note. There may be even members of this very church who are not true believers. The Bible is clear throughout the New Testament that there are going to be some that appear to be Christians who will prove in the end to never have been true followers of Christ to never have been made new and regenerated. If you are walking along with God's people, if you are hearing week after week, sermon after sermon, truth after truth from God's word, and you finally walk away from Christ and refuse to believe and refuse to surrender, it will be for you like Judas on that day. It would be better for you if you had never been born. Let me encourage you to not hold on to your sin, to not cling to it, to not pretend any longer but to lay down your arms against God and run to Christ and find in him peace and joy forever. He will accept you even now if you will turn to him in faith and repentance. Well, all of us are given this ministry of being Christ's ambassadors, and we are encouraged by verse 16 that the one who hears us hears Christ, and the one who uh, rejects us, rejects Christ, and the one who rejects Christ rejects God the Father. You remember at the Apostle Paul's conversion what Jesus said to Paul. Paul had been persecuting Christ's people, and the way that he had been treating Christ's people, Jesus took personally. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting them? No, why are you persecuting me? We represent Christ and his message, so if people reject this message, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the one we represent because we are ambassadors. It's not our message. We are united to Christ. We are his body. But the nature of this ambassadorship is that our message that we bring is not our own. And this should do two things for us. As we're connected to Christ and as Christ is connected to the Father, and we're connected to the Father through Christ, we should do two things. One, we should have confidence with this message. We should have confidence with this message. It's not our own. It's God's message, and it's God's work. We simply get to be the messengers, the ambassadors. This should give us strength when we're rejected, knowing that it's not us. <clears throat> it's not personal. It's personal to Christ. And as we love Christ, we may take it personally on his behalf, but it's not ultimately us that are being rejected. It's Christ that's being rejected. But it should also give us a sense of weightiness, a sense of seriousness. Because we know that what we're talking about isn't our opinions or our thoughts. 
or our preferences. No, what we are speaking when we speak the gospel to, to needy mankind is God's word to them. We've been studying 1 Peter in our midweek study. <clears throat> and Peter tells the Christians in 1 Peter 4, let those that speak, that is in the church with gifts of speaking, let those who speak, speak as if they were speaking the very oracles of God, the very words of God. And that's what we do. That's what we do. As Lemuel Haynes says, ministers receive directions from Christ, how and what to preach. They are to preach the message that God tells them to. John 3, 2, with plainness and with clarity, the trumpet is to give a distinct and certain sound. They are also to deliver God's messages with earnestness, with the sense of the importance of their work. And that's what we're to do. So brothers and sisters, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, if you're here and you're not a Christian, turn to Christ. Today for you can be the day of salvation and Christ can be for you, the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace, the king of righteousness, what will be for you a king of peace. If you're here and you are a Christian, let me encourage you to remember what is at stake with our ministry, the very souls of men, the very eternity of men and women are at stake. So let me encourage you to take this ambassadorship seriously. Well, brothers and sisters, we are ambassadors and our church is an embassy of heaven. We represent heaven to earth, King Jesus to rebel humanity. Do you know peace with God? If not, find it today. But if you do, then let me encourage you to be faithful with this message and with this commission. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you have commissioned ambassadors to represent you. What, what a thrill to be a part of your salvation work. Lord, let us be faithful, whether it's with our words, with our prayers, with our financial gifts, we pray that you would use our efforts to expand your kingdom, knowing that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. We pray that you would do these things for your glory until the day when Christ returns and we get to enter into his peace forever. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.